1: Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Good afternoon, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is a flat-out beautiful day for a radio program. Um, It is uh, today, in addition to uh, Donald Trump's birthday, uh, it is Flag Day, and it is the anniversary of the creation of the United States Army. Uh, Way back in the day, when they were wearing short britches and funny triangle hats, uh, they said, we're going to fly a flag that represents who we are and who we wanna be. And they realized that if they were gonna fly that flag, they're gonna to have to have somebody to keep it up and protect it. And that's where your United States Army uh, came into being. And on this day, there's a whole lot of red, white, and blue. And I don't know whether it's a, a recycled old Navy T-shirt from a few fourths of July ago um, or what it might be, but I hope that uh, you are looking a little red, white, and blue today. I hope that if there's a, a, a flag pole out front of your house or a flagstaff on the side of it or something, that anyway, I hope that you remember our flag today. But this is also um, the last chance you and I are going to have to speak before Father's Day. And uh, I, if, if Father's Day, I am I am pretty sure that the biggest thing you or I will ever do is uh, is be fathers. You know, if uh, uh, that is your gender and your fate. And uh, it's a funny thing about the way nature and nature's God uh, has it planned. We, uh, if, if we had our children when we were the wisest and most experienced with the keenest insights and the best prospects of doing a really good job of raising our kids, we, we, we wouldn't have them until we are about 80 years old. But uh, nature did not wire us that way. That's not the way the game was set up. As it turns out, we typically become fathers when we are about as young and as dumb as we can be. Uh, In our 20s, overwhelmingly, is when we conceive our children. Now, here's the deal. From the standpoint of the man, becoming a father is a uh, relatively easy and uh, most often rather wonderfully pleasant undertaking. uh, Becoming a father, but being a father, well, that's a little bit different story. Uh, That's uh, uh, other than the sweet love you have with your spouse. That's the uh, being a father is the best experience life has to offer you and the most difficult. And getting back to that, we have our kids when we're young and dumb, we become daddy uh, uh, just about the time uh, we're trying to figure out how to go out and live on our own. We, we typically uh, welcome children not too long after we stop being children. And so um, uh, 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 being a father, <clears throat> Is one of those uh, OJT kind of things, uh, on-the-job training. You you figure it out as you go along, and you don't always get it right. And uh, uh, maybe the system and situation is not set up for you to always get it right. You are looked up at uh, through almost worshipful little eyes. At the same time, you look through your own eyes out at a world that you're not exactly sure how to negotiate, where am I getting the money for this month's mortgage payment, right? How will I make enough to support this little family of mine? But that's the way it's supposed to be. And in the rising to that challenge is one of the great formative uh, parts Of any man's life, we of course teach our children. We hope, but um, having children teaches us um, well things we need to know for here and for hereafter. And it's a funny deal; those worshipful eyes of the young—they get a few years on them, and they become. Oftentimes the angry eyes of the adolescent and all of a sudden dad, who used to be uh, the hero coming home every night, is one more adult who seems to be impeding the forward progress of some young rebel's life. And at that point, being a dad becomes a little bit different kind of thing. You have to give love and counsel and guidance when perchance they are not appreciated or reciprocated. And uh, it, 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 the thing is, <clears throat> just about the time our kids get to adolescence, we have lived enough life ourselves, have seen in the experiences of our friends and relatives, just about the time that our kids become adolescents or teenagers, we we come to realize how many landmines there are out there uh, awaiting them. <clears throat> we know people or are related to people who have stepped on a few of those landmines and whose promise and joy I- I- are diminished or stolen uh, by some of those traps uh, into which young people can fall, uh, having to do with substances and their abuse. Having to do with uh, alcohol or with uh, a, a sex, or you know, uh, a shirking of educational uh, responsibilities, things uh, along those uh, lines. We, uh, you know, we, we get worried about our kids, and we know that just as nature wants them to be independent and stand on their own two feet, and to facilitate that, nature pushes them into a little bit of rebellion. We hope that their rebellion takes them to independence and not to ruin. Um, But we know that it can go either way. And we pray and worry and watch over our young uh, in hopes that it will go a good way uh, for them. Anyway, uh, my point is this, that as we are here a couple of uh, days before uh, Father's Day, I want to tell you, dads, that I love you. And I'm proud of you, and I appreciate you, and I know that you are doing the work of the angels. And I uh, believe that maybe one of the uh, better examples that you can follow as you um, work to be you know, the, the father you were born to be is you might want to look up to your father in heaven and uh, notice how God relates to us, how God loves us, and see if you can't apply some of those same principles to the uh, children he has given you uh, stewardship over. Uh, And that is exactly what has happened. Um, In the uh, creation of life, sometimes it may strike us as a wild Friday night, Um, But in the ways of nature, uh, God allows us to partner with our sweetheart in the creation of life. we, we, We provide the body, and he provides the spirit. And he taps us on the shoulder, and he says, this is your job. This is your responsibility. I need you to do a good job. And so we go forward. And in a couple of years, there's uh, some little snot-nosed calling us daddy. And uh, we are on our most important uh, uh, labors of life. I would just politely uh, add that just as I believe that God sends our children to us, um, entrusted to us, maybe because of you know, I, and I honestly think, too, that, like, God gave you that one for a reason. And, and these two over here and your sweetheart and that one, I think some of the uh, uh, constructions and dynamics of our families, of unique personalities and talents, of uh, 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 blessings uh, uh, or challenges, are those are purposeful. And I uh, am confident that if God asked you to do something, that you can do it. Uh, Because he will back you up and give you the capability as you faithfully and earnestly do your best. So on Father's Day, uh, young people, be they 5 or 55, are going to tell you how much they love and appreciate you. And you are going to be the wonderful dad and uh, uh, laugh and smile and hug and everything is going to be okay in the world. Even though you and I both know that as a father, um, you watch and worry a little bit and protect and promote and encourage every day. And there, Father's Day is a nice little commemoration. But once um, your children have come into the world, quite obviously every day is Father's Day. And I think that, anyway, I'll shut up. I'm just running off my mouth here. But um, on this Father's Day, as somebody, I don't know, brings you a tie or whatever they're supposed to do, um, as they call you up or give you a card or run to give you a hug, why don't you please be sure and tell each one of your children how incredibly blessed you are to be their father and to learn from them and to love with them. And also, uh, why don't you say to that lady who made you a father, uh, your partner in this creation of life, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this miracle. It's a holy thing, it's a divine thing. And again, I know on that wild Friday night, it may not have seemed exactly that way, but uh, that was nature encouraging you to come along for the ride. And uh, it is nonetheless exactly how it is. Fathers, you do a holy work, uh, a stand up and never shirk and deliver to your children, whatever their age, the very best prospects for a life lived uh, in faith uh, and according to principles uh, and values that are decent, wholesome and good. Raise your children to love their neighbors. Raise their children, uh, raise your children to love their God, to be patriots, to know that blood is thicker than water, and that they should always stand up for the weaker man. Uh, raise your children to be giants, and your time, your turn on this earth will have been well spent. It's time for Traffic and Weather on 570 WSYR. The uh, legislature, bang, bang, real quick, and the governor, bang, bang, even quicker, uh, passed and then signed off on legislation which would eliminate the religious exemption uh, when it comes to school vaccinations in the state of New York. Right now, uh, it says you have to have your child vaccinated if they're going to go to public school uh, with an asterisk, and that asterisk was unless you have a religious objection. Well, uh, the problem is that uh, a lot of people who probably don't truly have a religion said, okay, yeah, I got a religious exemption because how can you know what somebody does or doesn't believe? Um, Also, more significantly, when it comes to recent outbreak of measles, we've had worst in in, uh, about 35 years in America is that there are communities of uh, Orthodox Jewish people around New York City where they don't vaccinate their children uh, out of religious custom and unfortunately, uh, those kids have just been hit very hard by measles uh, in, in recent weeks. So uh, the legislature said we've got to have more vaccinate, vaccinated people, and so we've got to get rid of the religious exemption. And uh, it's a tough thing uh, this here uh, because, one, I think we need to err on the side of respecting individual religious freedom, Um and, and I think that our society right now, to be honest with you, is at war with the exercise of, uh, of religion, especially if it's Bible-based Christianity. If you're a conservative Christian person acting out of what the Bible teaches, uh, you are assailed on every side. So I'm a defender of religious liberty. But here's the deal. For more than 100 years in this country, we have believed that when it comes to matters of public health that the health and safety of the larger society is more important than the rights or liberties of individual people. Now, that sounds like a terrible, nasty, bad thing, but it was an important tool in us stopping near-epidemic outbreaks of any number of diseases over the last hundred years, right? Typhoid Mary, when they caught her, they put her on an island and said, you've got to stay there for a while, chick. And she had to. She was deprived of her liberty so that she would not spread, in that case, of course, typhoid. And so in our courts and in our culture, for a century, we have accepted the notion that the liberties of the few may be um, uh, uh, oppressed in order to protect the well-being of the many. Um, We've done that in public health for 100 years. It, 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 and the courts are okay with it, and the American people have been with okay with it. So in this situation where the religious exemption this year clearly uh, created a threat to public health, it's undeniable. Um, in light of that, um, I think that this is an appropriate law. I think that it is justified under our system of government and our constitution. And I'm glad it was passed, and I hope that we can, uh, through the use of vaccines, uh, be able to regain the control we had just a few years ago over a variety of noxious diseases to include, in this case, of course, the measles. It is time for news with Dave Smith, back right after that on 570 WSYR. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, hello, my friend. Hope all is well. That's beautiful music there, by the way. It's a reminder of our friend, the great Galuski, whose theme song that was over many long years on this uh, radio uh, station. Um, I uh, On the rent control thing very quickly that the uh, governor referenced, um, today is supposed to be the big vote on that. And rent control is largely a New York City issue, at least traditionally, but there are statewide implications of this, which will make it more difficult to be uh, a landlord uh, in New York State, especially a small-time landlord. It will become very difficult to evict someone or to not renew their lease or to raise their rent. Uh, further, uh, the difficulty in evicting them uh, will be particularly keen when they don't pay their rent. Now, I'm going to being nonspecific because the finalized details um, have not been released today, but uh, uh, versions of where things stood yesterday and the day before uh, indicate that uh, you could evict people if they didn't pay their rent, but it would be a longer and slower process lasting probably many months, uh, longer and slower than uh, takes place uh, now. So it's not exactly good news in in my book. The the impact of this rent control legislation will probably be twofold. In New York City, uh, it will uh, take much of the profit out of being a landlord that they're already with prior rent control isn't that much. But what that means is that when you take an industry and you bleed the profit out of it, then fewer people will get into that industry and uh, fewer people will, say, build uh, apartments or whatever like that. And money to uh, keep up and modernize those apartments will be a lot harder to come by. And so what you are apt to do is have a situation where the uh, quality of the available housing stock in New York City uh, just de- de- degrades over time, right? If the landlord isn't making money off the deal, he's not going. Uh, welcome back. I think we're back. Is that right? Um, forgive me. Uh, somewhere the uh, little machinery uh, took a nap. But the point I was making very quickly, not to bore you, is that in New York City, investment in housing uh, stock for apartments is going to disappear, which means that they will degrade substantially over time. That's going to bite you in the bottom a few years down the road. In upstate New York, that exact same thing can happen, but only if a city chooses like through their common council or city council, to impose those New York City regulations. And then it can only be on units that have more than six apartments within them or apartment buildings that have more than six units. And only if that apartment building was built before 1974, How they come to that, I have no idea. But if there were an older building in a city like Syracuse or maybe Oswego, uh, certainly Utica, if if there was a within a city, if the city council said, we want to have that same rent control New York City has, um, then they could vote to embrace it and make it effect. uh, And it would be effective only on buildings built before 1974 and with six or more units. So that's blah, blah, blah. Here's the other impact upstate. If you own like one or two houses and you're a landlord and you rent it out, um, it will become very difficult for you to remain in the landlord business. Many people do that as a part-time thing. And maybe it's a house they bought and used and uh, they outgrew and they kept it and they rented it out or, you know, or maybe that do that thing where you buy a duplex, when you're young and, you know, your tenant living next door in effect helps you pay the mortgage and then you get more money and you get another house and you rent out both sides of the duplex. Um, that's been a common work your way up middle-class kind of thing that will become again, very difficult to do because you will be subject to all these new renter protections, which will really end up being dramatic landlord burdens. So there's, there's that. Now, let me tell you a Another little story that has uh, uh, taken place um, uh, over the last week or so, on, on uh, a D-Day, I'm getting ready to do the shows, and I remember that a brother of mine, and I have a, a new brother and a, a new a now-dead father, and so a new branch of the family that manifests itself just a, a few years ago. But this brother of mine uh, had sent me a text some, you know, weeks or months ago saying, you know, we had a, a relative uh, in D-Day and we had a, a relative on Okinawa. Uh, both were uh, wounded. And so as this, you know, 75th anniversary of D-Day came about, I uh, texted him and said, what was that you said about the guy at D-Day? Who was it and how is he related to us? And uh Anyway, he got me the name, didn't know exactly what the connection was. I'm sitting there, and I look some stuff up and figure it out. And, you know, the uh, it was a guy who was at D-Day, wounded, uh, and he was my father's mother's brother. So to me, he would be a great uncle. To my father, he would have been an an uncle. But the deal is that this man, two and a half years in a combat zone, um, a a wounded he came back and uh you know life didn't exactly fit the way it used to fit and in 1947 i think at the end of april in a room uh he was renting uh while working on the building of of a dam in Almond, new york um he shot himself to death and uh well i i you know uh, told that story on the air, and uh, I do a morning show in Rochester, and uh, there was a lady driving to work. She was about an hour late for work. She'd had uh, unforeseen developments, and uh, because she was late for work, she heard as I told that story, and um, I used the man's name, Orion uh, Sherman. And uh, it, it, she knew that her grandfather's name was Orion Sherman. And uh, uh, she knew that uh, he, her, her dad's father had died and at his own hand in 1947. And but that was all they knew. Because it was a suicide, the uh, her father, who couldn't remember his, his daddy was so young when he passed away, had been raised with no one ever talking about him. No pictures, no nothing. As a Catholic family, he had committed suicide and uh, he was disappeared, except for the little headstone that uh, over all these years, uh, first this lady's father as he came to adulthood, and now she is, she is in adulthood, They go and they decorate the grave on Memorial Day uh, and again in the fall. But there was her grandfather's name. And at any rate, uh, her husband figured out how to uh, uh, get in touch with me. And we texted a little bit last night and uh, this morning. I was able to get together the things I had been able to uncover with my son and with a, a cousin um, about uh, Orion Sherman. And I sent those uh, to her. And it was the first time she'd ever seen a picture of her grandfather. The first time she knew anything about his military service. The first time she knew anything about anything. And, uh, she read those and got those, I think, when she got out of work here just about an hour, hour and a half ago. And she's been sending messages or whatever in response. Her father, the son of this man, uh, a fellow who never knew his dad and never learned anything about his dad, uh, is still alive and is coming to visit her this weekend uh, with his wife, her mother and she is going to, when he arrives, introduce her father to his father. And uh, what a happy, wondrous thing that will be. And it's sort of uh, almost sacred to be able to have uh, witnessed it. So anyway, keep looking for your roots and keep forging those chains of connection generation to generation to the past. Um, I think that the people on the other side kind of help us sometimes and point us where we need to go. And I think that uh, though they have left here, uh, we are still, you know, family. And uh, anyway, so that was a sweet thing. And I thought I'd tell you about it. It's time now for Traffic and Weather on 570 WSYR. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you.
0: What do you do when you win?
1: Welcome back, friends. Uh, just being all over the board, I came across a, a, a pretty useful little website today. Um, it's aflcio.org slash unioncars. I'm not a big union guy. I, I'm, I, I can't lie to you. I, it, 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 I'm not a big union guy. Um, but I was curious about where an automobile was made and and who made it and uh the, the at this w- webpage it uh, the title is union made in america cars and trucks and it breaks them down by um, uh, united states and canada there are some can in there and whether that's good enough for you or not i don't know but i i am i do love the american made product And so there is a a list of cars and trucks made in America by United Auto Workers members. And if if such a thing could be useful to you as you decide what you're looking for or whatever along those lines, uh, it's aflcio.org slash union cars. And again, I may not be the biggest union guy ever there was, but I am an American worker guy all day, every day, because that's you know, what I am. And that's where my country gets its prosperity. And on today, Flag Day, we're going to wave the red, white, and blue. But on every other day, just like this one, we've got to make decisions and choices as people, as a society, as a government that bolster the interests of our country, right? It's pretty easy to put a flag up or wear a pin, But living a life that actually supports and benefits the U.S. of A., that takes sometimes a little bit of effort and maybe even sacrifice. And I do believe that buying American products, and in this case we're talking about uh, automobiles, and I know well who owns what company, this, that, and the other. But if I, through uh, my automobile purchasing dollar, can help provide employment, for uh, uh, another American, or if I can help provide prosperity and continued uh, viability to a major American manufacturing concern, then I'm all in, right? Um, So at any rate, uh, look at that, make your uh, 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 choices along those lines, and in, uh, in just about parting, on this birthday of your United States Army and uh, uh, the birthday of the American flag, I uh, uh, note that sometimes based on our philosophy or whatever, we may have different reactions to some of these symbols of our nation uh, and to uh, patriotism. Um, Do not succumb to that evil temptation. The American flag Belongs to all 321 million of us, right? And do not let any philosophy or any kneeling football player turn you away from America's flag. Don't you let some goofed up history lesson you might have heard in college uh, put a a taint or a stain on that beautiful uh, banner. It is a symbol of our uh, republic and the Constitution which defines and secures it. It is the property of all Americans. It is the common lifeblood of all Americans, and we stand together around the American flag. We are not divided by silly things like politics or color or stuff like that. Listen, I need to run. God bless you. Keep your chin up. God bless the United States of America. Weekend assignment is what it always is. Tonight, tomorrow, get out to Temple Mosque. Or synagogue, and failing that, I hope you join me at church on Sunday. And then uh, uh, Monday afternoon, it'll be you and me back here, three to six, on five seventy WSYR